Hello and welcome to Off Curve. I am Wicked Good and I am talking to you about Hearthstone on my drive home from work. It is Monday, March 19th, 2018. And I got the legend. So I was planning on talking about uh, the uh, Cobalt and Catacombs cards that I got right and I got wrong. Uh, this week, and that's going to wait for the next episode. And, and by the way, there are some humdingers. I was going through the spreadsheet today. Um, I thought Dragon Soul was a good card. That was fun. <laughs> so, uh, how naive three months ago Steve was. But that, that's going to wait for another day. Because um, we have, we have uh, obligatory uh, legend story time, which is copyright and trademark Blister Guy 2018, uh, since, since I got to legend. So, when I last spoke to all of you was Thursday, and I was... I was not in a good place. So I I was basically, you know, this happens. And this happens to me every single time. Where there's a point where I'm climbing and then all of a sudden like the deck stops working for like a day because there's like a micro meta shift where like a vicious syndicate report comes out or there's some hot new deck that comes out or whatever. It doesn't matter what the reason is, but like everything shifts around. And if you listen to me on Coin Concede this week where I was a guest, like I was talking about, I was, it was like right after that, that I was recording where I just like tanked a rank and then I tanked another rank, um, after I, (laughs) after I finished recording with them because I kept playing, which was not a good idea. So I got, I I kept running into like Velen, Mally goes big priests and I was running into the mirror and I was running into all kinds of stuff that was just all of a sudden not good. And I was not seeing enough, nearly enough warlock of my liking. And so I decided, okay, well, I need to try some stuff, some other stuff. So I tried Secret Hunter, and I tried, I might have tried, I don't think I got so desperate that I tried Paladin, because that would have offended my sensibilities, but I th- I might have tried Secret Mage, I, I don't even remember what else I tried, and it's just like, this isn't happening. So I, I looked at my, um, I looked at my stats, and I realized that I was doing fine except for the priest matchups. And and this is one of the reasons that it's really important to track your stats objectively through something like Tracobot or Hearthstone Deck Tracker or whatever it is because when you can look at your your stats objectively and collect it that way, you can kind of see patterns and you can see that you're not completely like doing as badly as you feel like you are like I, I've been started listening to Annie Annie Duke's new book um, Thinking with Bets uh, Annie Duke was a professional poker player and she, she consults with businesses now but so she's kind of uh, it's a lot about the kinds of things that we talk about in terms of um, not tilting and I may do a, a more uh, I, I may do more on this in the future um, I do like that she has a verb for results-oriented thinking that's in, from poker that's called resulting, which I'm going to adopt. And the other thing that she talks about a lot, which is something that we all know playing Hearthstone, is, is hindsight bias. So you're going to, first of all, you're going to look at thing at, at the results of your decisions and as though they were inevitable, and you're also going to give the most weight to the most recent results. So I felt like I just couldn't win, and the truth was I could, but the problem was that I was losing, I was losing to Q blocks where I wasn't before, where 
I, when I was running the deck and having a lot of success with it, I was playing against control control warlocks. And now I was losing the cube warlocks, so I had to change my strategy a little bit. And I was losing to priests. I was losing to combo priest. I was losing to, um, obviously, to the big priest, and I still do. And I was losing in the mirror. And so I looked at the deck, and I looked at what, what the cards were, and I decided that Dragonfire just really wasn't helping me. Like, it wasn't... It was kind of unnecessary before, and now that I was facing a lot more priests that had a lot more dragons, it was, it was really just kind of dead weight. So I looked at that and I said, okay, you know what? Let's make that a Shadow Word death. Because the things that I was losing to were like an early inner fire from Combo Priest or a Mountain Giant from, uh, from a cube lock or, or even just like other Draconid operatives, right? Like I just did not have an answer for them aside from spending one of my board clears. And you really don't want to spend your board clear on like one, five, six. And even like none of the, none of the early removal really lined up well against the mountain giant, uh, I would have to use like double pine size potion or something like that to clear it or, or happen to have a twilight acolyte in my hand. Uh, so I made that change. And that was, that was huge. Like just that one change was really, really big. And, and shout out to, to Starlax for suggesting that to me like two weeks before me being too stubborn to listen to him because he said all along that like one death was much more important. And I, for whatever reason I had it in my head, I didn't need it. And it turned out that I did. So I don't know if you remember like two months ago when the last time that I got to legend with the spiteful druid and I said that it, you know, it was really weird how I would like struggle for a long time. Then all of a sudden I just have this streak up to legend and I, I was wondering if that was normal. And, and if I ever complain about that again, please hit me because, <laughs> because, uh, that was not the case with this climb very much so. And, and it was, it was a grind. And because the priest matchups are long and full of terrors, um, the warlocks were fine and the, the paladins were kind of, you know, they, they, they were at least over quickly. Like sometimes you'd fight through a whole bunch of boards and just find one that you couldn't clear. And sometimes I would notice myself, I, I would notice after the fact, like I got greedy with holding on one turn too late for a board clearing and get punished really hard. Or I'd use a board... Usually when I would lose one of those really long grindy games, it was because I used a board clear too early. And then I didn't have enough to last me through the rest of the game. So it's kind of a delicate balance. But in any event... So Thursday, I got up to rank 3. By Friday evening, I was at rank 1. And then I... You know, I had Saturday. So I decided I was going to... I was going to make the push. And I kind of bounced around between, like, rank 1, 1 star and rank two four stars for the majority of the morning and just kind of playing like when one lose one when one lose one I finally got myself up to rank one three stars and then had to go pick up my my, my daughters had a field trip with the Girl Scouts at uh there's there's a place in um in western mass right by the the border with Connecticut called our old Servage village which is like a uh, colonial uh, reenactment type thing where everybody churns butter and nobody knows what cell phones are, you know, that type of thing. So we had to pick them up and we got dinner and I came back and I started grinding again. And, and I was, I, I, I won a couple of games and I was doing okay. And I got up to my first final boss. I'm like, okay, let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'm all set. I'm, I'm feeling good. Let's do it. And it's King's Bane Rogue. And if you read my guide, what I said was, you may as well just concede this match. It's that bad. 
And so I decided that I'm going to play it out to the leeching poison. If I can get some sort of a really fast start against them before they can pull out a leeching poison and they and start undoing everything that I did, it's generally okay. As soon as they get Kingsbane with leeching poison on it, it's basically game over. So I, I played it through it. It was turn one Kingsbane into turn two deadly poison into turn three leeching poison into bottom right. So I was unhappy, but it was okay, right? Like that's going to happen. Um, they were a dumpster legend. It was not a big deal, right? Like I'm okay, right? Like it's going to happen. It's fine. I have to win two more games. It's not a big deal. I played through another mirror. It took me like 20 minutes. I got back there and I'm okay. So now Andrew from Happy Hearthstone is, is spectating me because typically we'll try to jump on and spectate when one or the other is at, is getting close to a final boss. So I get through that mirror and I play, I queue up again into my second final boss and it's another rogue at Dumpster Legend again. And I'm like, oh God, like I, I, I can't do this again. But I'm going to play it out. I'm going to try it, right? So I'm playing through and it, and it becomes very apparent to me. This is not King's Main Rogue. I'm seeing cards that I wouldn't normally see, and it's it it doesn't feel like a Kingsbane rogue. Eventually, I see a Gadgetzan auctioneer and that confirms my suspicions. And at one point, they burn a Sinister Strike, and I realize this is a Mali Ghost rogue. At Dumpster Legend, as my final boss. <laughs> so, no, I, no. <laughs> So anyway, so I fight them out like really, really far. Like they get a Mally goes out from whatever that, that death rattle is that puts a one, one into play and I'm able to deal with it and it's fine. And I'm like one turn away from being able to butt stomp them. And then eventually they are able to go Mally with a bunch of sinister strikes and eviscerates and just kill me out of nowhere. And, and I actually forgot that they actually had the Mally in their hand because I thought I, I'd got myself turned around with dealing with it, uh, the one coming out of the 1-1. One, one. So, okay, fine. So, right after that, I queue into another Kingsbane Rogue. I go back down to 1-3, and I'm done. I'm, I'm done for the evening. I, I went to go watch my friend Alicia's stream. She was playing uh, Slay the Spire for Not Your Mama's Gamer um, charity stream, and I hung, in that, I hung out in there for an hour and just tried to calm down. Because, like, I knew I was tilted at that point. Like, I was, I was actually, like, actively angry. And, I, I, you know, you you could probably give me a pass here, right? Cause like, first of all, Kings Bay Royals is a really bad matchup. Like I'm, I've played up until this point playing against meta decks. I've, and you know, the deck, the deck is tuned for the decks I'm going to be facing one to five. And then all of a sudden I'm hitting these dumpster legend players who don't care. And I know they don't care because if they cared, they wouldn't be playing. If they care about climbing, they wouldn't be playing a deck like that. They're playing it to just get the experience of playing it. And that's okay. Right. Except that, they're also my final boss and I'm getting broke. I'm getting kept out because they're playing a deck that is objectively not good, but also, um, but also it's, you know, it happens to be really good against my deck and it gets killed by the paladins, but they don't care. So I took like an hour, an hour or two and I, I calmed down and I went back in and I, I, I queued up again and I, played another mirror that I lost. I went down to one, two, and then I found the warlocks. And that was kind of one of the problems that I had with the whole climb is that I wasn't seeing a lot of warlocks, which are kind of the easy wins for my deck. And so I hit a zoo who, um, conceded as soon as I dropped the first dustbreaker 
and then there was a Q block who I was able to beat, and then I went into this grindy final match against a Control Warlock, and we're just going back and forth the whole time, and he's not letting me take the Void Lords, and I'm, I'm kind of grabbing them anyway, like... I, like he's killing one off and then he plays another one and I'm able to steal two of them and I drag off the third and I got a Nazoth um, off, out of a drag off so I was able to Nazoth them so he kills one of the Void Rip one of the Void Lords on an empty board and I was able to Void Ripper it and hit them for 18 with all the Void Walkers which was pretty sweet and we went back and forth with Death Knight Hero Powers for a little while and then, except they, because they were tapping, they were further ahead of fatigue, and Rin was their last card. So they play Rin, and they conceded, and I, I didn't even celebrate, I just, like, breathed a sigh of relief, because it was such, like, a grind to get there. But I did it. I did it. I did it with the Control Priest, I did it with the deck that I believed in, I did it with the Void Ripper, and I'm very, very happy about it. So anyway, so I... That's a really long intro, but I feel like, you know, Legend Story Time is a little bit warranted given what I had to get through to get there. Um, I have some thoughts about the leg- about the new ladder system having done that, and then I, ha- I I got a bunch of questions about the Control Priest um, the last week after I recorded, so I want to talk about some of those and talk about the deck a little more, and, um, you know, and then we'll get back to making fun of my, uh, my Cobalt's and Catacombs predictions next week. So... Now that, you know, I've done a legend climb in the new ladder system, I think I can pretty confidently say that the new ladder system is earlier, but it's not easier. So, like, it's the 19th now, so I I hit legend on the 17th, and so that's significantly earlier than I would have normally hit. Like, usually I would, it, it would usually take me two to three weeks from when I got to rank five. And that's what it took me now. Like it took me, I don't, I don't, I didn't look at the number of games necessarily, but it just, in terms of sheer time, it took me about the same amount of time. And, and the thing is that like, I was at a conference the first week of the month. And if that had been under the, the old ladder system, like it would have been, I've had conferences where I've gone away for a week of the month. And I know that my play is not very good on those weeks. And that would have sunk me. Like, the last time that I went to a conference was one of the few months in the last, uh, the last, you know, six or so. That was one of the two months that I didn't hit Legend at all. And and I didn't even come close. That was the only time that I didn't come close since, like, September. Um, Last month, I at least got to a final boss and I just ran out of time. Because I was trying to grind both ladders at the same time. But that's the only other, that's the only month where I didn't even come close to hitting Legend was the one where I went away for a week at a conference because, you know, you're spending one day on a plane, you're spending, or two days on a plane rather, you're spending three more days at a conference where you're there all day and then you're, you're pretty much exhausted by the end of it. So, you know, if this was in the old ladder system, I very likely would not be making it to Legend this month. Um, that said... I don't feel like the games were any easier. If anything, it felt like they were harder. I don't know if that has to do with the fact that it was a set, you know, a very defined meta with very strong counters, or if it was, um, you know, just the fact that it was playing against more equal opponents. And, and, you know, I talked about this on Coin Conceit a little bit this week too, but I think that this can be kind of demoralizing for some people because I think that we're 
used to getting some of those easy wins, but we didn't actually know which ones were the quote-unquote easy wins, right? Like, we didn't really know before. Like, were you playing against somebody who was top-tier legend? Unless you unless you ran up against somebody with, like, a golden card back, obviously. Like, are you playing against somebody who was top-tier legend? Or are you playing against somebody, this is the first time they've hit this rank ever, and they're, you know, they're shaking with nerves, and you've, you've been here, you know, before if you're a repeat legend player. Like, we don't know that. And I think that we were probably taking some of those mismatches for granted, and there are going to be a lot fewer of those because those people are going to take a lot longer to get up to the ranks where you're normally playing. Um, so you're, you're getting more, I don't want to say equal competition, but you're getting more fair competition, which I think is what we all wanted. But at the same time, like, that comes with a cost, and that cost is that you're going to lose more games because you're necessarily playing against people who are at your skill level, which means that you're, you're going to get fewer gimmies, right? Um, which all goes back to the whole respecting your opponent thing, because you're, anyone who you're playing against is probably at the same level as you are most of the time now. Um, I do feel like the matchmaking, like, I don't know if I was the only one who was playing Saturday evening at rank one, or one of the very few, like, it, it ended up matching me against a lot of low rank legend players and it matched me against a bunch of people at rank two and very few people actually at rank one where I was. So that was a little bit frustrating. And I think that that contributed to my tilt more than anything, because if like, if I was playing against somebody who was also playing at rank one and they'd been fighting through with these decks, then I would probably have had a different emotional response than somebody who is messing around at dumpster legend. Cause they're, you know, they're, they're out of school now school's out for summer and they can play whatever they want and what they want happens to be you know an objectively bad deck that happens to counter mine pretty hard pretty hard um but i mean that's always been part of the part of the system right like you're you're always going to end up getting cued against those low level rank low rank legend players and you know sometimes that trips you up when you're when you're at rank one it's like you i remember hearing people in the old days talking about how like rank one was like a victory lap, but it really isn't anymore because all of the decks are tuned so strongly for the meta. Like, there's not like a, a consensus good deck like Midraid and Shaman was way back when, where there's no counters. And when somebody's playing like one of these off meta decks, especially when you're like me, you're playing a control deck, that can just kind of mess you up. And, and, but that's not new. So I do, I, I, I want to say if you're struggling, I would say, you know, be kind to yourself and just kind of try to, try to keep yourself with a level head. Cause I was definitely struggling a lot and I was especially struggling on like a couple times this past week, um, when I wasn't doing as well as I would like. And, and I think that you just kind of have to adapt to the fact that this is a new normal and you're going to be playing against different competition and just try to learn something from every match. You know, like that, that was what I did. What Once I took a step back and objectively looked at like what the deck was doing and what it wasn't and what I was seeing, what I, as opposed to what I was seeing when I started the climb, that's when I really was able to kind of break through, but you need to be able to, to get out of tilt mode in order to do that, which can be hard when you're not performing as well as you would like, but hang in there. I would imagine as we get further into the month, things will ease up a little bit because 
a lot of the, um, you know, a lot as people filter out of le- filter out into the legend ladder and out of ranks one to five, that you know the people coming up will be less experienced at that level, and then you'll be able to, you know, things will kind of open up a little bit more. Um, but hang in there, and you know, this meta is not the most fun right now, just to be frank. So. You know, if this is a month where you want to take off, you want to play around in wild a bit, this is a good time for that too. Okay, so like I said, I got a few questions after last week's episode, um, or, or before last week's episode, really, and I want to address them. And the first one's from Nate Wolf, who does the excellent Into the Wild podcast, who's actually been playing standard. And you know, he he asked if I can discuss the control pre stack. Um, you know, how viable is it on ladder play style mulligans matchups? I'm doing fairly well with it, but I feel like I could be better at it. So here's what I'm going to say. First of all, obviously it's viable because I got to legend with it, but, um, and I don't want to go through the mulligans and matchups because that's all in the deck guide that you can find it off curve.com. And I would recommend you go there because it's just, it's hard for me to recite all of that off the top of my head. And that's why, you know, that's why I put it there. Um, but what I will say is that the, the deck guide does kind of assume that you're familiar with playing control. And I realized after writing it that, not everyone is, because we really haven't had very many viable, true control decks. Like, Raza Priest really wasn't. It was more of a combo deck. Um, and even, like, Burn Mage was the same way, like the Angoro Burn Mage. Um, Big Priest was probably the closest we had, but even that doesn't really play much like a traditional control deck. So, I think there are a few things that are a little bit different about playing, like, a traditional control deck as opposed to the kinds of attempts at control that we've had. Um, and really there's a what you're trying to do is you're trying you're leveraging your knowledge of the uh, the opposing deck to try to diffuse what they do well and ideally your ideal game plan is not to kill your opponent with face damage what you're happiest doing is exhausting them of resources and just extending the game. And then eventually you can whittle them down, but that's not actually your game. That's not actually your goal. Your, your goal is really just to counter, to disrupt their game plan and run them out of threats. And if they run, if you run them out of threats, then you either can heal for two while they can, as you're going into fatigue or you have the end to hero power and you can start, you know, hitting them in the face for four every time you play a card. And that's, that's your ultimate win condition. It, it, these decks used to be called concede decks because your primary win condition was making your opponent concede. And, and like the Paladin matchup is a really great example of this where you, you, there's, you're never beating them with face damage. Like 90% of the time you're not beating them with face damage. You're beating them by them looking at what's left in their deck and realizing that they can't do enough damage to win the game. And that you can counter their 1-1 one, one that they can make with their hero power, and then you win. That's your primary game plan. So against anything that's aggro or mid-range, like against against cube lock, against even control warlock, against, um, against any of the paladins, against secret mage, that's your game plan. You're just trying to outlast them. So what this means is a couple of things. It generally means you're winning through card advantage. Like, the way you win a game with this deck 
is that you're removing multiple threats for every one of your cards. Like sometimes it doesn't work quite that way. Sometimes you need a combination of cards to clear, but you're typically you're you're typically getting efficiency by removing multiple threats with one or two of your cards. So what that means is that in order for that to be the case, you need to be aware of what is actually a threat and what isn't, which means that you need to be comfortable using your life as a resource, which is not something that outside of Warlock, you're re- a lot of decks are really used to doing. Like, here's an example, right? So, you're, your opponent, you're playing against a Paladin, and they've just played Stand Against Darkness. It's, you're going into turn six, okay? You have in your hand, you have a Dustbreaker... A, po- a pint-sized potion and a potion of madness. What do you do? Do you dustbreaker, or do you pint-sized, or or do you shadowed horror? Guess what? It's a trick question. You don't do either. And and here's the reason why. Assuming that you're full health, of course, right? Because I maybe what you do is if you have minions on the board, you you potion of madness, and try to take off a couple of minions, or you'll trade off with a dustbreaker that's left over from the last clear, or whatever it happens to be, but. Ultimately, if you're at full health and they have a stand against darkness, like, not only can you survive the damage coming out of that, but you also know that you can clear it. So what you need to do is when you're looking at a board like that, you have to figure, like, how do I get punished by this? And there's a few different ways that you can get punished by it. You can get punished by a, um, by Leifu Stegadon, who, if you only have Dustbreaker, can give, give all the minions plus three health or Divine Shield. If you're only holding the uh, the Shadow Word Horror, then they can give everything plus three attack and start hitting you in the face, right? If you happen to have both those clears in your hand, you can deal with either of those. You'll take some damage. But the worst thing that you could do in that position is clear the five one ones. Because really you're not doing anything, right? Like you've cleared a stand against darkness, but you're, you're going effectively one for one at that point. And you never want to be trading one-for-one one with your resources for the opponent's resources. You always want to be trading two-for-one, three-for-one, four-for-one. And then you can start, um, you know, then you can start taking over the game. But, like, if you answer a Stand Against Darkness with anything other than, like, a Primordial Drake, because that's effectively going to be a two-for-one because it's both clearing the board and... Uh, presenting a threat that needs to be cleared, then you're giving up on card advantage at that point. So it's something that you need to think about. Like, not only how do I get punished from this in terms of, like, how do I clear it, but, like, do I even need to react to this board? That's a question that trips up a lot of people who are starting to learn how to play control is that they know that they have clears for boards, but they try to clear everything and you can't. You can't clear everything. And the like so the like one thing that I'll see a lot is I will let a um a cobalt librarian hit me in the face multiple times at the beginning of a Q block match, because I literally do not care about the cobalt librarian. I know they're gonna play a mistress of mixtures. I know I'm gonna probably gonna be able to potion of madness and into it and then get all the life back. And even to that point, I don't even deal I don't even try to steal the Doom Guards, even though the Doom Guards coming back is their win condition effectively. But it doesn't really matter because as long as you can steal the Void Lords, like I explained the last the last time around, 
The Void Lords come back twice, the Doom Guards come back once, and stealing the Void Lords typically will protect you from the Doom Guards. So you kind of have to come up with a game plan for each matchup, and it's a little bit different each time, and you kind of have to have... There's, a, there's lineup theory of control, where you take all of the answers that are in your deck, and you line them up against potential threats from your opponent, and you try to reserve something for each one of the threats that you know is going to blow you out. Like, if you're playing in Secret Hunter, you need to have an answer in your hand at all times for Spellstones. Everything else is kind of a minor threat, but if you don't have an answer for the Spellstone, you just lose on the spot. Same thing with Tarim for, for um, it, when you're playing against Paladin. It, it's You can generally look like you're winning a lot of the time against Dude Paladin, and then eventually they come up with one board that, that you just can't clear. And then that's the end of the game. So, it's a matter of knowing what your how your threats line up. It's being really careful about, you know, am I expending too many resources to deal with this board? Can I afford to take the damage for it? And that's a calculation that you get better at as you play more control, but it's something that a lot of people just really aren't used to because they're not used to playing the style of deck. So I would say if you're struggling with it, try to figure out how your answers line up to every one of the threats in the deck and then try to play accordingly and think about before you clear something, do I actually have to clear this? Can I get away with not? And you're going to learn real quick through like, the School of Hard Knocks, which uh, threats you really need to clear and which ones you don't. Um, but that's that's going to help you become a better control player is if you're thinking critically about how, what the punish is for not clearing and then what your answers are, you know, in the worst case scenario, and then that will help you figure out if you need to clear it on in any given turn. The, le- the, the more efficiently you're using your clears, the, the harder your opponent's going to, harder of a time your opponent's going to have the more successful you're going to end up being with the deck. So really quickly, there's one other thing about playing controls a little bit different that I wanted to touch on. And I I think I mentioned it in passing on Coin Concede when I was guesting there this past week. Um, and I didn't really elaborate on it, and I kind of regretted that, so I want to take the time to make that up here, which is the idea of treating minions as healing. And, and this is also kind of a difficult concept for people to wrap their heads around at first. And, and I think that the the best way to think about this is Doomsayer. So, when you play Doomsayer, obviously you're expecting it to go off, right? And sometimes you're using it to set up a clean board. Sometimes you're trying to use it to clear off a board of minions. Um, and then sometimes there's what's called the Tempo Doomsayer, which is a Doomsayer that you are kind of slamming on curve. And you don't necessarily expect it to go off, but either way you win because either you're, um, either it's going to go off and it's going to clear the board or it's going to take seven damage for you. And, and that's kind of the second scenario is what I mean by um, minions acting as healing. Like you're, when you're playing a, a minion out on a board and it has card text, like Priest of the Feast is a really good example. Priest of the Feast, sometimes you're just going to play it on curve. But you're not really playing it for tempo, you're playing it for healing. So, uh, ultimately, like, if you're playing it's a secret mage, um, part of it is that you may play it into explosive runes and it just soaks six damage for you. That's the obvious scenario, but there's also the scenario where, like, you're playing it on, you play it on curve and they have to answer it, um, so they fireball it. Well, that just healed you for six damage. Because that fireball would have gone at your face otherwise. So, it's important to realize that sometimes you're playing those minions out. Usually you want to contest whatever they're going to play next, but sometimes you're playing them out 
just to soak damage, and that is as good as healing. So it's important to kind of recognize the situations. Um, most of your really critical minions, I mean, obviously the, ta the taunts are going to soak damage, but even things like, um, like Northshire Cleric or Priest of the Feast, even though they don't have taunt, they effectively do because your opponent isn't going to leave them up. So those may soak direct damage or those may get traded into and that acts as effective healing. And it's important to think about it that way rather than just slamming minions on the board. And, and this is, you know, you got to be careful which minions you're doing this with. You don't want to use your last dragon for this. You certainly don't want to use a Twilight Acolyte for this ever. Um, or, or a Northshire, uh, another Spite Historian without getting the effect off. But um, for minions with card techs that effectively have soft taunt, those can heal you, and it's important to recognize those situations. Okay, so um, a couple more quick questions. Um, FC Bugax, Bugax, sorry, um, says, I ran to Big Priest who just continually kept bringing back huge minions with Spellstone. Even mind-controlling stuff couldn't help, just couldn't match the, ma match the value or the attrition. Is that just a bad matchup? Yeah, it is. It's a very bad matchup. Uh, Big Priest is, is a terrible matchup just because you can't steal everything. You're trying to steal the minions that they don't run two of, which is basically not the statues, but even stealing not stealing statues is kind of bad, especially when they keep coming back and they keep healing and you can't really kill them. Um, I've had a miserable time with Big Priest with this deck. It, it's a very bad matchup. So I would tell you just try to keep a Potion of Madness in your opening hand. That way, if they get Barnes, you can run the 1-1 one, one off of Barnes into the into Barnes. Um, you want to try to steal their early minions off of the Shadow Essences, and ideally you want to steal anything that they play naturally that they haven't gotten another copy of, so that they can't resurrect it with the Spellstone ever. But yeah, it's a hard matchup, and it's very hard to deal with those big min minions just because a lot of your removal doesn't line up against it. Um, so Mike Lowe and Kremlin, Car Kremlin Cardinal had similar questions. Um, this was related to the new, the new set announcement last week. Um, Mike asked, what will it take to make a free Shaman deck? And Kremlin Cardinal asked, what does Warrior need to become top tier again? I think Warrior, I think, is simpler. I think it just needs a couple more control tools, and it needs some of the... I need, it needs mean streets of Gadgetan to rotate out. Um, I think that the power level... Once the power level comes down, um, Warrior is going to have enough control tools at the end of the day that it will... I, I think it'll be able to be viable again. They just have to give it a, a couple of good cards... Um, and it'll be fine. But I think that what's happened with Warrior is that everything was balanced around a two-mana Fiery War Axe, and the last set really didn't have time to account for that. I would expect that the, the Witchwood will, um, will be addressing the fact that Warrior needs some more power now that Fiery War Axe is three-mana. Um, as for Freeze Shaman, it just needs more Freeze cards, really, and it needs more, more good Freeze cards. Like, the Freeze cards that it got, like, Frost Shock's not great, I mean, it's fine, but it's not great. Um, the, you know, the weapon that kills things when they're frozen is not fantastic. Avalanche is not a good card in general, you know, regardless of what, what the freeze effects are. Um, there's the, like the two seven is okay, but that's really like the only one. So it just, it needs like cryostasis is just flat out awful. Um, it needs a couple of more freeze effects and it needs good freeze, freeze effects tied to other good effects. And I think that might make it viable, but I'm, you know, like Glacial Shard and Frost Elemental and the 2-7 are really not going to do it all on their own. And you need a little bit more help in turn beyond like Murabi and the 1-4 the weapon. 
because running your face into things to kill them is not great either. Unless you have something like, you know, leeching poison, but that's a rogue card, not a shaman card. Um, and Appa asks, since Arphis is a four mana two, two, it gives you a random card as death rattle. And Azure cat is a three, three and immediately gives you card plus spell power. Can we officially call this pet creep? And also, does this definitively prove that cats are stronger than dogs in Hearthstone more? I, I, I think all of that is true. Um, I think that, um, obviously you, I mean, I think birds are obviously better than both of them. Um, I think the dogs that we got are very, are very weak. You have Unleash the Hounds. You have, um, you have On the Hunt. Those are just like one ones. Those are not particularly impressive. Um, but you know, Jewel McCaw is, is Gifty Bird and Enchanted Raven is, uh, Enchanted Raven is, oh no, that's, that's Gifty Bird. My, my wife has names for the birds. So Jeweled Macaw is Pretty Bird and Enchanted Raven is Gifty Bird. So I've, I've asked her, what is the ruling on Black Cat? And we've agreed that it's Shifty Cat because it looks shifty and it has different colored eyes. So that, that's, that's the small amount that I have to um, contribute to this very important discussion about pet power in Hearthstone. All right, that's it for this week. This is a bit, again, a bit of a longer episode. I guess, you know, it's probably... I, I don't know if they actually will be during card reveal season. This may, these may end up being actually shorter because I may not have as much to talk about with all of the uh, research going into the card reviews. Um, so I, But, you know, thank you for uh, coming along the ride with me. I appreciate it. You can, as always, uh, you can find all the links at the show notes to um, offcurve.com where I also will have the deck guide to Control Priest if you are interested in Void Rippering your foes, uh, please do. Um, you can also follow the show's account for announcements of when new deck guides and when new episodes are posted at Off Curve, um, at Off Curve on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter personally. I'm at Wicked Good. Uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitch where I hopefully will be getting back to streaming again soon. Um, I'm at twitch.tv slash wickedgoodfm. And um, what else is there? Oh boy, you think, I, you, you think I'm a professional and I remember how to do all this. Um, so do leave a review on iTunes. Uh, that does help out a lot. We did get one more uh, review this week, uh, which I'm trying to find now. Yay. Um, so I got one more review since the last time we talked, which is from VS Robot, who says, uh, you just listened to your buddy Steve talking about the game we love while he drives home. While listening to Steve, he's smart, funny, has a knack for expressing himself that translates well to audio. Well, th- thank you very much. I appreciate that. It, it it, it does mean a lot, and, you know, again, I don't have a Patreon, so, like, this is the primary way that you support me, other than telling other folks, uh, about the show, and, and it really does, um, you know, it does give fuel to the fire, as it were, um, I would also recommend that you subscribe to the Happy Hearthstone, uh, because that is where my, uh, card review will be in several weeks, um, Andrew and I will be recording them in successive weeks this year, and, uh, now that he's gotten past his Patreon goal to do weekly episodes. So, uh, clear six hours in your schedule because that's how long it's going to take us. Um, so go subscribe there as well. And, um, I'm filling up rather quickly and I have something coming up that's going to take a few more, um, slots on my friend list, but you know, you can still send me a friend request to with good hashtag one, five, three, five. And, uh, do let me know in either discord or Twitter that you are a listener so that I will 
make room for you on my friendly list because it is filling up quickly. And I want to make sure that that's reserved for listeners to the show and not salty people who want to want me to die for playing a control deck. So, <laughs> thank you as always for listening. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It really means a lot that you've taken time out of your out of your busy week to uh, listen to me talk about Hearthstone as I'm driving home. And uh, have a great week. Don't let the ladder get you down. And I will talk to you all soon. Have a great one.